the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into Hour 2 of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. I guess this hour is uh, the author of a, uh, a new book that takes a, uh, an interesting look at history by talking about what some very famous people were doing in their 20s. Uh, the book is called Nailing It by Robert Dylan Schneider. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, Bob joins me by phone. Hi, Bob. Welcome to the show. Tom, it is just great to be on this show. You know, uh, I know this is very important to people in Flint, but in so many ways, you set a tone for other stations, other other media uh, throughout America. So it's really special to be with you. Thank you. Well, that's nice of you to say, Bob. And um, I, I like to think we're encouraging people to think without telling them what to think. But... Um, I have to ask about this uh, about this book. Uh, let me let me get the title exactly right because these days you can't just go with the title. You have to have the whole big long subtitle. Sure. It's uh, nailing it. How history's awesome twenty somethings got it together, and I can't help asking Bob if that isn't a little oxymoronic. Twenty uh, somethings getting it together. Well, to some degree, <laughs> it is. It's a uh, uh, most young men and women in their 20s, as they approach uh, maturity, uh, don't have it together. They don't have a plan. They look to their right, they look to their left, and they try to say, what am I going to do now? Now, there's some, for sure, that are very, very successful. They have a very focused direction. Many of them are based in technology. But most people uh, don't know what to do. And the game is to figure out what to do to make your life really uh, exciting, make it exciting and a daring adventure. You know, Helen Keller, who was in the book, said life is a daring adventure or it's nothing at all. So I think it's up to people in their 20s to say, how are we going to step off and make a daring adventure for ourselves? How are we going to do something that makes life interesting for us and for others? That's important. I, and this book looks at, at people... Um, from around, from throughout history and around the globe, right. um, and and I wanted to bring up Mozart, which is the first chapter in the book, um, because he was incredibly prolific at a very young age. In fact, he died what twenty seven. Yeah, very young man. Uh, did he start the twenty? Did he start the twenty seven club? <laughs> I don't know about I don't know about that, but but he was as he as he came up, his family expected more of him than just writing music. 
They wanted him to be a shoemaker. They wanted him to be a technician of some kind. Uh, he didn't want to do that, and he wrote music. And didn't he write beautiful music? We still hear it today. And uh, it's extraordinary what he did, the contribution he made. Uh, even rock bands today pay attention to Mozart. So it's a, uh, it's really something he did. But to, to me, the significance is he overcame the challenges of his family and society early on and said, I'm going to do something, and he did it. You know, I read a, um, an interesting book once. I, I I went through the Arthur Conan Doyle Sherlock Holmes collection, and then I was starving for Sherlock Holmes stories, and I found this, this paperback novel that was uh, Sherlock Holmes on the trail of Jack the Ripper or something. And, and a funny element in that book was that in their investigations, Holmes and Watson discovered Mary Shelley's original manuscript for Frankenstein. Right. <laughs> and, and it was just, it was a, a funny moment, but she's another one that you talk about. Mary Shelley uh, was truly a, uh, an extraordinary person. Uh, again, against the odds, uh, Mary Shelley, of course, was extremely well-known for her husband. Uh, he was better known, frankly, but she overcame that. And she never left us, just didn't do it, because her work keeps us, keeps her alive for us. And almost two centuries after she lived and wrote, Mary Shelley retains a firm grip on the world's imagination. And again, this is largely because of what you cited, Tom, Frankenstein. It's amazing what she did. I don't know how many film versions there are of Frankenstein, or if Mary Shelley even gets the residuals. But uh, it's, it's a big thing. It made, made a lot of changes. Well, and, and the whole idea of um, piecing a person together with parts was so far ahead of its time. She was born in 1797. And at that time, who was going to do what you just suggested? Take different parts of your life, your career, things about you, and put it together and make something happen. But uh, it's really quite interesting because she was part of the Age of Enlightenment when science and reason were dominant. And she became part of the Romantic era when the expression of just human and natural emotion uh, took place. So she combined both of those and came into a, uh, uh, an area that was of real significance. Again, Percy, her husband, uh, who's deified, really, in so many ways in, in Europe, in Italy in particular, uh, didn't hold her back, but they didn't help her along the way. So that's pretty significant as well. Her parents, Tom, played a no small part in, uh, in her life. Uh, under any circumstances, the effects on her would have been significant. Uh, but uh, to add to that, the unique uh, set of uh, her traumas, and she had many, uh, and her unique talents, uh, they result in a fascinating experience for people who come to Mary Shelley's work. Bob, you're, um, you've been called the Dean of American Public Relations Executives, but how did you come by Ambassador Donald Blinken to write the foreword for this book? Well, the ambassador, uh, in, in my life, I've met a lot of really interesting people. Uh, 
and uh, Lincoln is one. And I met him actually through his wife, Vera. Uh, Vera said one day, I met her in a social situation, you ought to get together with the ambassador and me. And I didn't know who he was, but I did, and we had a dinner at their home. Uh, and they have more Mark Rothko's in their home than anybody in the world. Rothko was a, a person who decided he needed help, and Blinken became his advisor and handled all of his financial things. Anyhow, <clears throat> Blinken and I became very fast friends, and he became the ambassador to Hungary, with all that stands for, did a great job. Even today, he looks back at what's happening in Hungary and says, gee, I wish I was there. I could make an impact. But he had a tremendous impact on the State Department. And, of course, today, his son, Anthony Blinken, is the Secretary of State. Uh, I once said to Don Blinken, who wrote the foreword, can we talk to Anthony? He said, I can never talk to Anthony about anything because I don't want to influence what he does. That's an interesting take on it. It sure is. Most um, most kids think their parents want to tell them exactly what to do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> At least get the first idea. But uh, but no, it, it didn't ha- didn't happen in Blinken's case. Blinken, by the way, uh, this is the first draft from Blinken. He sat down and he wrote it and he handed it to me. He said, "What do you think?" And I said, "Can I use it as it's written?" He said, "Sure, but you want to edit it?" And I said, "I don't edit the master." It's a terrific piece. Um, Bob, how did you, first of all, how did you decide to even comment on what people were doing in their 20s to begin with, and what did they have to be doing to make it into your book? (laughs) I I, I looked at society, and I said to myself, a lot of society is being driven by older men and women, uh, men and women, women in their 70s and even some of their 80s. And I said, that's not the way it should be because we are who we are because of uh, younger men and women coming together in their 20s and 30s, uh, developing ideas, developing inv- innovation, developing things that really shape our lives today. And then I looked back and I said to myself, the world needs a kickstart. And the kickstart's going to have to come from, not from people in their 70s and 80s. Uh, their day is over. The kickstart's going to have to come from people in their 20s. So I said to myself, how do I incent these people? And I said, the way to do it is to tell them there are other people who were once 25, 22, and they develop really fantastic things, and you can too. So that's what I did. I developed it for just that reason. And, and this is such a, a a way of flipping the script because very often we hear stories about Colonel Sanders and um, uh, oh God uh, Winston Churchill and others who really sort of reached their peak much later in life as a as a keep going message, you know, you, there's still time. You can still do this, but this idea of get out there and hustle while you still got some hustle is really a, a different way of trying to inspire the world. Uh, no question about that. I mean, one of the big questions in life, and frankly, I've thought a lot about this, 
is when do you run out of gas? When do you say, enough, I've had it, I'm going to sit back, relax, kind of take it easy, and I'm not going to uh, put my shoulder to the wheel any longer. I don't know when that time is, but it comes for all of us, and we have to understand it comes, and we have to figure out before then what we're going to do. And the best way to do that is to start as early as you possibly can. These 25 vignettes of people in the book are exactly that. They started before they were done, and they made really significant things happen. There are people in this book, Tom, who came from really pretty basic beginnings. There are two women, for example, Coco Chanel and Edith Piaf, both French. Uh, they were really in Montmartre, and they were doing things that young women in Montmartre do and would be prosecuted for in other parts of the world. And they simply overcame that and went on to uh, become really hugely significant in life. But you talk about people um, from the arts and uh, from business. Um, I think there's even uh, a politico or two in the book. <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, again, um, were the qualities that they had unique in any way? I picked the people based on the end result of what they created. Uh, for example, Mary Shelley, who we talked about, created Frankenstein. So I went back to Mary Shelley and how it all began. Uh, Einstein is in the book. U.S. Grant is in the book. And I saw what they did later in life, and so I went back and said, how did Einstein begin? How did Grant begin? Because the readers of the book are where Einstein and Grant and Shelley were when they began. And I said, how do you put together the different qualities that uh, are going to make something really important happen? One of the things that makes it work is you've got to have a desire, something really in your heart that says, I'm going to do something, something important. And you're going to try and fail and try and fail, but eventually you're going to try and succeed. And when you do that, that's going to be the real payoff. Bob, I, uh, I have a break coming up here in about a minute, and I want to talk some more about this. Um, can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk I'd be, some more? I'd, I'd be thrilled, Tom. Thank you. Great. My guest is Robert Dylan Schneider. Am I saying that right? That's correct, yes. Good, because I, I practiced a little, but I'm, ter <laughs> I'm terrible with names, Bob. And uh, the book is called Nailing It. How History's Awesome 20-somethings got it together. And we're going to talk about some more 20-somethings. And uh, we're going to talk some more about getting it together when uh, we return with uh, Bob Dylan Schneider. Uh, but if you're listening to us on uh, 92.1 FM in Flint, uh, WFOV LP, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions of my friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. We'll be right back. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, Visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Thompson Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than a thousand dollars now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with the author of a new book called Nailing It, How History's Awesome 20-somethings Got It Together. Robert Schneider is my guest. He has... Uh, been called the Dean of American Public Relations Executives, and he joins me by phone. Bob, uh, welcome back, and thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. Tom, that's a great production you put together. <laughs> that was ter- terrific to listen to it. Thank you. And and that that was our actual Michigan Attorney General, by the way. I see. Okay. <laughs> she she does those little PSAs and puts them out, and they're they're really fun and and funny and and important to um, how is the state of michigan doing these days by the way it's um well i don't know <laughs> some people think we were ground zero for january 6th but uh it, it i i don't really know how to answer that question bob it's uh there are some things that are improving um but very slowly well, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, and I can tell you that the Michigan team beating Ohio State created a lot of long faces in Columbus. <laughs> and and that uh, is is not a feeling that is unfamiliar to people in Michigan. You know, there's a great story. Uh, Woody Hayes, the former football coach at Ohio State, had come back from Ann Arbor, and he was driving back to Columbus after the game. And the car ran out of gas. And one of his coaches said, Coach Hayes, let me go back about 40 minutes, 40, 40 uh, meters. There's a station back there. I can get some gas, put it in, and we can keep going, keep going. And Hayes said, there's no way I'm buying gas in the state of Michigan. We're pushing, pushing the car over the line. <laughs> <laughs> that That is fun. Um We've been talking, in the last segment, we were talking about your book and some of the people that are in the book, and, and essentially, uh, it's it's a look at, at some of history's better-known figures and what they were up to when they were 20 as a way of inspiring young people now to go ahead and take the reins. It's time for young people to step up. We have a president who is nearing 80. We've got candidates for president in 2024 who are going to be above 80. We've got an awful lot of people in the Senate and the House that are older. We've got a lot of people running big corporations in this country that are in their 60s and 70s. We have some, by the way, that are in their 30s, but not many. And it's time for young people to step up and take charge and make society what it can be for them. Now, the book features uh, something like 25, 20-somethings from throughout history and across the globe. But I, I wanted to mention one because it's it's pretty clear from the conversation we were having earlier and that we're having now that you really want to inspire young people to get it together and, and to get moving. And what is the significance of somebody more contemporary in the book like Steve Jobs? Steve Jobs uh, began as nothing, and nobody believed him. And Steve Jobs just stuck with it, put his shoulder down, and said, I'm going to prove something to somebody. And gosh, he sure did. 
And then he quit his company and came back and proved it again. So, I mean, Steve Jobs is an extraordinary person, and not just talent, but he had will. And will is very different from talent, in my opinion. Uh, Jobs had the will to put his talent to work, and he did. It changed American and global life. You know, I uh, <clears throat> several, many years ago, maybe a decade ago, I interviewed uh, Nolan Bushnell, who had uh, founded Atari, and um, he wrote a book called Finding the Next Steve Jobs. And his argument was that companies were doing it wrong by looking at resumes. He said, don't, don't just look at resumes. Get to know the people and who they are and, you know, what their, what their interests are beyond what's on the page. He says, that's how you need to hire people if you want to find the next Steve Jobs. Bushnell was a very smart guy, and of course he's right. And if you think about where we are now, <clears throat> there's, it started, I think it was about 1925 20, or so, Fortune had an article about technology and how important technology was going to become, and God knows it certainly has. The question I raise for young people and, and, and everybody is what's coming after technology? Something is going to happen. I don't know what it is. If I knew, I'd capitalize on it. But something will happen. Might happen as a result of a war. Might happen as a result of a political system changing. But something is going to happen that goes, goes beyond technology. Technology has not been fully developed. There's much more to do. But something's going to happen. But it's it's interesting that the big changes and, and the big, uh, what, leaps forward, if you will, have been made um, in recent decades by younger people. And I'm thinking not just of Steve Jobs, but, um, you know, I'm thinking of Bill Gates and Paul Allen in that garage in uh, Seattle and, and Microsoft. And, you know, the, the whole bunch at, at, at Simi Valley, or uh, Silicon Valley. And a lot of changes, a lot of changes, uh, Tom and... Uh they're all brought about by people that you just described. Uh, the question in my mind is there are an awful lot of people that hopefully will read the book and say, what am I going to do now? How can I put my talent to work and make something happen? Yeah, what's, That's the big question. what's the next wave? What's the next big thing? And I think what your book points out, and, and as we examine some of these people who have been the real innovators um, throughout history, as you sort of alluded to in the book, is this idea that it's the new ideas and, and young people that develop the willpower to move these things forward, and it's time for the next big thing. So the book yeah. is a wake-up call. I wish I knew what the next big thing was. I capitalize on it. But, uh, there, there is a next big thing. I just I've thought that it, myself, Bob. Right. Yeah, I've thought if I only knew what the next big thing was. I had an uncle passed away some years ago who had a knack for picking the next big thing. He um, he invested in this uh, little rinky-dink company called Panasonic. There you go. 
<laughs> he made a fortune. And, and that wasn't the only one. That just happens to be one that's particularly well-known. But he had a knack for that. I don't have that knack, Bob. I, I, I was kind of hoping you might uh, take me down that path. <laughs> Tom, if I had that knack, I wouldn't be writing these books. So, uh, <laughs> I've got to do something. But uh, How many books but do you have now, Bob? Uh, 18, so 18 books. And I've got contracts for two more. So I'm excited by that. And uh, I hope that the 18 that I've written will create some kind of a uh, uh, a movement. Two of them have been best bestsellers. I hope Nayland it does well. And I hope the next two do well. So uh, I'm very optimistic. The um, what's what's the next book, by the way? Uh, the next book is going to be called Power and Influence, and uh, how do you understand and get power, and how do you create positively influence that changes life in a constructive and positive way. That's what the next book's going to be about. And it's going to be about how you use power and influence in your job, how you use it in your community, how you use it in your life with your own family. How do you apply these things? Because power and influence really drive a lot of life out there. And, and how, do you, how do you deal with the idea that power corrupts? At some point, you have to draw the line. I mean, the obvious drawn into the line is the law that stops you from doing things. But that's not enough. There's a thing called judgment and good taste. And uh, I think judgment and good taste have to play a role here. There's an awful lot of things that are done that are in bad taste. And they shouldn't be permitted. Well, they're permitted, but we shouldn't let those things dominate us. In uh, when you put this uh, this book together, um, and you were collecting information, um, did you know who you were looking for when you started looking, or how many people did you go through before you settled on these twenty five? Well, I I created a group of a hundred, Tom, and uh, I stopped at a hundred because I could have gone further, but I stopped at a hundred because it was just too much, and I said. A hundred is too many for people to read. Uh, how do I winnow this down to 25? And how do I do each of the 25 in two or three or four pages so that the reader will not be worn out having to read a hundred pages to figure out what the message is? The reader can get it in three or four pages, and then he can put it down or she can put it, put it down and try something else. So that's the kind of the reason uh, and the way the book was written. Uh, it's more difficult because you have to pack into virtually every sentence uh, powerful ideas and thinking, but uh, the result is a real positive one for the reader. You know, it's it's so interesting. I'm looking at some of these names, um, you know, side by side. Maya Angelou and, and Sally Ride. You know, they couldn't be more different, and and yet they're in the book. What what was similar about them? Sally Ride uh, was no place, and she decided she was going to do something with her life and looked around and said, outer space, 
I'm going to do something with my life in terms of outer space. And she had several flawed attempts to do that. But then all of a sudden, it happened for her, and uh, she became the first female astronaut to go into space. Uh, really a determination on her part. Maya Angelou uh, was a extraordinary figure who did lots of writing, lots of speaking, some singing, and at the end of the day, she said to herself, I'm really not very good. But on the other, on the other hand, she kept at it. She took lessons, she developed herself, and look at what we have today. A really fantastic person who's made a big contribution to society because she decided she wanted to do something important, and she pulled it off. Two of them are quite different, but they're quite similar in what uh, their approach was. Well, that's what I was trying to say, because there's, there's people from so many different uh, disciplines and walks of life, and, and that's, that's one of the things that makes the book such an interesting um, collection. And the message is, um, is yet the same. It is, it is the same. Everybody in the book, however, has done one or two things that are really just blockbuster important. I uh, remember I am Pei, the architect, who's in the book. Uh, Pei was a Chinese architect, and he did projects in the United States and all over the world. But one of the things that really made it for Pei, and this is true of virtually everybody in the book, is Pei fashioned the pyramid, which is in front of the Louvre in Paris. And I'll never forget this. We're in a meeting with Jacques Chirac and Francois Mitterrand, the president of uh, France and the mayor of Paris. And Pei presented his idea for a pyramid in front of the Louvre. And Chirac said, there's no way we're going to do that. He said, the Louvre is a beautiful Belle Epoque building, and the pyramid will only go it up and make it look bad. We'll get people that just don't want to come to the Louvre. Uh, Mitterrand stepped forward and said, no, you're wrong, Jacques. He said, this is the French way of doing things. We always try to do something special and different. And in fact, they did. And so that's how the pyramid idea got sold. It's it's amazing, Bob. And I, I want to ask you, when you were putting these stories together, were there surprises for you along the way? Uh, each of the stories required research. And when you do this kind of research, uh, you look up from the page and say, my God, this actually happened. So yes, there were developments along the way. There's a lot of stuff that's not in the book that uh, if I had more pages, more time, would be in the book. There's a lot of stuff that is quite salacious about some of these 25. That's obviously not in the book. But the things that are in the book are aimed at convincing and demonstrating to young people in their 20s, early 30s, uh, there's something you can do with your life. So if I'm graduating from high school or I'm graduating from college and I don't know what to do because there are an awful lot of people in that category right, right now, they don't know what to do. And you say to yourself, and I don't want to be embarrassed in front of my parents or my friends. So I've got to figure out what to do. Well, there are ways to figure out what to do. And once you do, then you won't be embarrassed, and you'll hopefully be very successful. That's really the game here. 
with um, there are a lot of people who look at young people today with a great deal of of hope and and enthusiasm, and then there are just as many who look at young people today and think, "Oh my God, we're doomed." Um, which is it for you? Are you pretty optimistic about young people in general, or uh, are they just too lost to their mobile devices? I'm banking on young people because they're going to make the rest of my life pleasant and profitable. So I have a lot of time for young people. I want to give them every bit of leash that I can give them so they can develop their ideas and their thinking. Uh, do I want to take bad ideas? No. I want to reject bad ideas, but I want to take ideas. And young people can come with ideas much more faster, much faster, and a much greater quantity than older people can. So there's a big, a big difference here. With the way things are, are going right now with the with the pandemic, um, is is that holding people back? Is that impacting education in a way that's that's going to slow down potential? In the beginning, absolutely not. Everybody kind of kept on going. The pandemic then picked up real velocity, and people started staying home, homeschooling, uh, learning from home. Uh, people started stopped going to work, uh, doing remote work, and things began to kind of slide down a little bit. The third phase was then people all, all of a sudden figured out, well, in this new paradigm, I'm working at home, I'm studying at home, how can I really raise that to a higher level? And they did. And that was a real positive experience. But then along came the fourth phase, and the fourth phase was the new pandemic. I mean, yesterday it was reported there were over a million cases of the, of the pandemic in the United States. Stunning. So people just don't go out. They don't want to take the risk. I said to my wife this morning, what would you like to do on New Year's Eve? How many people would sh should we have over? And she said, nobody. I want to <laughs> see you, and we'll watch Netflix. And she said, that's going to be the, the game on New Year's Eve. And I think that will be the game. Yeah, I um, <laughs> I used to play in bands, and, and I New Year's Eve was a big night for me to be out and you know it was a big money night and all that and I went out once or twice to big events on New Year's Eve just as one of the attendees and swore I'd never do it again <laughs> well I've never been in Times Square it's uh, just the the crowds and you know the just the whole shoulder to shoulder you know Everybody here doing it together. I, on you know one side, I think, well, that's nice, but it, it just wasn't fun for me. I, I like your wife's idea. Well, this has happened to me, and uh, on several New Year's Eves, I've set out saying to myself, "I'm going to do something," and then hopefully judgment gets a hold of me and says, "Don't do it," and so I've stopped, and so I don't do much on New Year's Eve at all. I do try to stay up until the strike of 12, but several New Year's Eves I've missed it. Does that impact my life? Not really. And, uh, <laughs> it, uh, you, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I moved the, I, I had a studio of my own, and I moved it into my home in January of 2020. 
thinking that I was going to be a little bit of an outlier, you know, do, doing a show from home. <coughs> sure. And and six weeks later, everybody on the planet was working from home. You can do it, especially in radio, because it's uh, very easy to do this kind of a show from your home. You can do it from almost anywhere. So I applaud you. Well, I've been looking forward. You know, I, I was going to do it for a while. Now I've been doing it for a couple of years. Now I'd like to get back out again and have more people in person. But it's just, it's not quite time yet. Um Bob, the, I, I, I want to get back to the book for just a minute because we're almost out of time. The book is called Nailing It, and uh, where's the rest of it? I have to look at the book because I didn't write it out in my notes. How History's Awesome 20-somethings got it together. Um, just on a final note, Bob, are there just a couple of pointers that that you could share from the book that, that you know lessons learned that might inspire young people a to read the book and b to follow the advice i think there are i mean there are obviously lessons in each one of the 25 uh chapters that cite the individuals and to to really capture those lessons you've got to skim or at least read those chapters but i think everybody out there should say to themselves I'm an important person. I've got something to give. I've got something to to live for. I've got something to contribute. And then figure out what that is. And uh, say to yourself, okay, if I'm going to contribute this or I'm going to give this or I'm going to embody this, how do I do it? What are the steps that I need to take? And actually write down on a piece of paper what they are. Have confidence in yourself and then write it down on a piece of paper and then go for it if you possibly can. You're going to be unsuccessful in probably nine out of ten times. But the tenth time, you'll hit the long ball, and this will make a big difference in your life and the lives of everybody around you and, of course, society generally. Uh, I went to the University of Notre Dame, and when I went to Notre Dame, I had no idea what I was going to do. But I really looked within myself, and I said, I'm going to succeed, I'm going to make it, and it worked out pretty well. Well, Bob, it's uh, it's been a while since we've talked, and, and that's a shame because I enjoy talking with you so much. I appreciate you spending time with me this morning, with me and the listeners, and, uh, and I hope we'll get a chance to do it again sometime soon. Um, in the meantime, uh, thanks again, and keep up the good work. Tom, I will, and your listeners are very fortunate people to have one of your caliber doing this show. <laughs> that's so nice of you to say, Bob. Well, take care. And, uh, Thank you very much. We'll we'll talk again. Thank you. Bye bye. That was uh, Robert Dylan Schneider. He is the founder of the Dylan Schneider Group, headquartered in New York and Chicago, providing strategic advice and counsel to Fortune 500 companies. And he has uh, a new book. It's called Nailing It: How History's Awesome Twenty Somethings Got It Together. And uh, we're going to get it together and have some more of the Tom Sumner program after we let our broadcast partners squeeze in a few words or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are WFOVLP 92.1 FM Flint. And um, we'll let them squeeze a few words in. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. There's more straight ahead. 
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila, tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. Is a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! 
from the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. There's a book written called Psychological Studies of Famous Americans, and it examines from a psychological viewpoint uh, Robert E. Lee and Ulysses S. Grant and uh, Walt Whitman, people like this, and tries to explain in terms of psychology why these people acted the way they did, that they really did not act from... uh, from valor or anything else, that there were deep psychological problems these people had, and that's why they reacted the way they did. One person they skipped that I thought would be a great subject for analysis, if they had analysis when he was around, was uh, Ben Franklin. I think he... (laughs) I think this man is ripe for analysis. So this is uh, Ben's analyst. And he's in a typical analyst's office. He has a, a, a desk and a chair and a couch and an intercom. Yeah, uh, who, who, uh, who is it, Murray? Ben, ben Franklin. Um, can, I, uh, can I duck him, Murray? <laughs> he's, he's, he's standing right there in the office. He's, he's dripping all over the rugs. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, send him in, Mary. Uh, uh, Mary, how, how's he doing on his account? Uh, th- three months behind, huh? Yeah, he's, he's thrifty, all right, Mary. All right, send him in, send him in. Well, hi, hi there, Ben. How are you today? Good. Ben, you want to you lie down on the couch there? Uh, ben, you want to put some papers down on the couch so... <laughs> Don't, uh, don't get the couch all wet. Oh, I'd, I'd say from the looks of our clothes, we've been uh, flying the kite again in the rainstorm, right, Ben? <clears throat> okay, Ben. Um, we copied down our dreams, did we? Mm-hmm. You, you didn't have to. That same one. You're, you're walking down the street and you, you find a half dollar, and your face is on it. <laughs> that's, that's pretty sick, Ben, you know that? <laughs> Washington has the same dream, only he sees his face on paper. Huh? Do you wanna, you wanna give George my number, uh, Ben? <laughs> Okay, Ben, let's, let's see if we can't get to the bottom of this kite fixation thing. Um, the, uh, the lightning knocked you down again, uh, did it, Ben? <laughs> you're, you're not surprised by that, though, are you? I mean, you, you expect it to knock you down, don't you? <laughs> you know, Ben, uh, you being a founding father and all, you know, it, uh, it doesn't exactly inspire confidence in people to see a, you know, a grown man flying a kite, you know? <laughs> Too bad it, it, it isn't something a little more private, you know, you could, you could do in the privacy of your own room, like uh, spinning a top, you know, <laughs> some, something like that. You ever, ever thought of spinning a top, Ben? Wouldn't, wouldn't knock you down. 
That's, that's important to you, is it, Ben? Mm -hmm. Okay, let, let me see if I have the picture now, Ben. Uh, <coughs> you're flying your kite, all right, Ben? And you're letting out the string. Everything's the same as usual. There's, there's something different this time. You, you use strips of cloth for the tail. Red, white, and blue strips of cloth. <laughs> where'd, uh, where'd you get the red, white, and blue strips of cloth, Ben? From, from Betsy Ross. <laughs> she, she's got plenty of it. She, she's up to wearing it, Ben? Now, uh, Be uh, Betsy gave you the cloth, did she, Ben? You, you took the cloth. A, a penny saved is a penny earned. Why, uh, uh, why didn't you ask uh, Betsy for the cloth, Ben? She thinks you're a sissy because you wear bows on your shoes. And, and she chased you down the street yelling... You're not thrifty, you're cheap. <laughs> she, uh, she could have something there, Ben. Not, nothing, nothing, Ben. Mm -hmm. why, uh, why didn't you uh, pay Betsy uh, for, for the cloth, Ben? Keep what is dear to you if, if you would prosper. Mm -hmm. Ben, I, I think we can get a lot more done if, if you drop the little homilies after, after each, uh, each statement. Ben, we don't seem to be getting anywhere with a with kite thing. Uh, let's switch to something else. How, how are the inventions uh, coming along, Ben? You, you got lucky this morning. You, you don't have to wear your bifocals anymore. The, the lightning fused your glasses to your eyeballs. <laughs> What, uh, what are you going to call them, Ben? Con contact lenses. <laughs> ben, I, I, uh, I sure would like to be more optimistic about your condition, but I'm uh, <laughs> afraid I'm going to have to recommend a shock treatment, Ben. Uh, I, don't, I don't like to do it because there are always uh, undesirable side effects. Well, what, what we do, Ben, is uh, we stick you inside the Liberty Bell and, uh, and we, <coughs> we uh, ri ring it a couple times, you know. Well, uh, the problem is you, you, you quiver for about two or three years, you see. <laughs> ben, I'm afraid our time is almost up. We'll see you uh, next, next Thursday then. Right. Goodbye, Ben. You, you get him, Mary? He ran, ran out already, huh? <laughs> <laughs>
The leaders that we follow, they can't even write their name. But here we are in America, ain't it just a shame how it goes on and on? Our children going hungry, teens are turned to crime. And politicians know it's true, but they ain't got no time. Now here we are in America, nothing seems to change, it just goes on and on.
Alexander Zajic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.